Good afternoon and welcome everyone to another episode of the North Fort Worth podcast. I'm your host, Josh Boyd, and I'm joined today by Greg Trickett. Welcome, Greg. It's great to have you today. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. So, Greg, we know you have an MDiv from Southwestern and also a PhD in Christian philosophy from Southwestern as well. Um, You've been married uh, to Catherine for 20 years um, and you have a daughter going into ninth grade and a son going into eighth grade, right? Right. It's awesome. I know you guys are pumped for school starting back up. (laughs) (laughs) And you told me right before that we we started, um, I was kind of asking for like an interesting fact or maybe what I should introduce you as or how I should introduce you. And you, you mentioned that you like to knit and listen to metalcore at the same time. <laughs> <That's> so <right. laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I tell my students if they come to my office and they see that happening, it's not a mistake. They're in the right place. It's so, okay. So how did you stumble upon that? Was that just the... <laughs> yeah, well, so so with, with both of them, uh, a few years back, I was writing my dissertation, preparing and getting stressed out and I was looking for a cheap constructive way to release stress and golf is not cheap uh, and it's not constructive, (laughs) which I would love to do. So um, I was at Walmart and I saw knitting needles and I was like, I I had a a youth minister who had taken up needlepoint to relieve stress. Okay. And I thought, why not? So I just picked up like a $5 set of knitting stuff and taught myself and have been doing it ever since with the music. um, My wife bought me an album by a band called Demon Hunter okay. uh, a few years back when my daughter was born. And um, it there was a, a couple of ballads that they had been putting on, on the radio that were melodic, not right, right, right. growling, screaming stuff. And um, uh, I started listening to it and then found all these other songs on there. And I was like, well, that's, that's not what I expected. But I gave it a shot. And the more I listened to it, the more it grew on me. And I started branching out and just ever since been in love with the genre. Well, so. that's really cool. That's yeah. really cool. I'm glad you shared that. Um, <laughs> so I know that you're also a professor um, at Weatherford College. You've been there since 09. So what all do you teach there? I teach uh, intro to philosophy okay. and ethics are my, the main two courses I teach. Once a year, I also teach a philosophy of religion. And I teach um, every now and then when it makes, it hasn't been making recently, but um, a logic class, intro to logic. Okay, very cool. And so I know you and I got to kind of talk very early on in my time here, um, and you were actually part of the committee that that brought me here, so Mm -hmm. that was really cool to kind of have that connection. But uh, I think maybe my first or second week, we kind of talked about um, having a similar connection in one of our professors, um, Jeff Holloway, Dr. Holloway. And so you had him at Southwestern, right? That's right. Yeah, awesome. It's I had Dr. Holloway for... um, Gosh, I think five courses while I was at ETBU. Oh, yeah. He was one of my professors there. And so really a uh, small world. Great to connect with you in that way. And that, so th- being that you teach Christian philosophy, we're going to kind of talk about that today. Philosophy of religion, Christian philosophy, um, and even kind of delve into some apologetics um, this uh, this afternoon. So really, before we get too deep, can you kind of give us just an overview, like an umbrella view of what exactly is apologetics? Yeah, so... Uh, apologetics, there's a couple of different ways people think about it, but essentially the definition of apologetics goes back to the Greek word apologia, which means defense. Okay. Um, so it is a defense. Um, you have in um, in uh, the passage from 1 Peter that we're, we're to be ready to give a defense. That word there is apologia. Um, in uh, the writings of Plato, uh, he writes about Socrates' trial. Uh, and the title of that work is called The Apology, which is actually the trial of Socrates. It's where mm, Socrates okay. is giving his defense right. uh, against what the Athenians were charging him with. So, so the word means defense. Now, how that relates to 
Christianity, Christian apologetics would then be giving a defense for one's faith in some way. Sure. Now, my thinking is that this has been kind of, you know, exploded in some sense into this idea that we are to go out and defend what we believe to the world out there. And and in some sense, that's right. Again, we look back at first Peter, we're, we're supposed to be able to give a defense for the, for the hope that we have within us. Um, but I think that in contemporary setting, apologetics more lines up with an, an edification of the church. Uh, my understanding is, is that apologetics is first and foremost, a way for me to love God with my mind. Yeah. Right. So oh, that's a great word. It, it is supposed to, Build me up, lift me up, lift those around me within the church up first and foremost. And then as a way of doing that as well, it it has this missional evangelical aspect to yeah. it where as I do that, that that kind of reflects back out to others. I can give that defense to others. I can explain to them why I believe the things I do. And I can do so with confidence because I've thought about those things already. Right. So it kind of leads, I'm going to skip a little bit on our kind of agenda that we had for today, because that goes really right into this third point I was going to make. And you mentioned first Peter uh, chapter three, and I think verse 15 there too, talking about the, um, the way Peter instructs us to be always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you uh, for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so I know when I was in school, I, I, when I started studying philosophy, my first, I mean, intro to philosophy class as a freshman, I remember going into that class and hearing kind of an introductory lecture. And I love Dr. Holloway, but I remember sitting in that lecture thinking, this is not for me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to enjoy this. This is way, this is, this is really abstract. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to think this hard. I don't know if I want to try this hard, really. <laughs> right. And then I, I remember, um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Dr. Holloway shared this explicitly one day, um, this, this idea from C.S. Lewis that good philosophy must exist if for no other reason, because bad philosophy must be answered. So you really kind of just touched on that, but how um how can how can a christian how can a christ follower instead of just like um being ready to lash back at someone or ready to have an attack ready or defense i guess ready why is it so much more crucial for us to uh to delve into that idea of the faith how should a follower uh, really use that as an edification standpoint or a right. worship standpoint yeah um yeah i like how you put it there at the end because because it is edification worship first and foremost so um yeah, I think the the first Peter verse is sometimes misused by sure. uh, apologists because in the context of that verse, what Peter is telling us or telling the followers there are when you're being persecuted, when things are are looking bad for you and the people who are persecuting you and, and the people who are doing these bad things to you, when they see that you're not bothered by it, they're going to say, why do you have hope? And right. then you should be prepared to give a defense. And of course... When you read the context of that passage, too, the, the hope that we're to give a defense for is, is the hope of the resurrection. So it's a very specific thing mm. that we're, yeah, we're defending there, word. the resurrection of Christ. Um, but apologetics has kind of been exploded into this, I'm going to go out and debate atheists right. and do this kind of stuff, which, which bothers me a little bit. Um, I think in terms of the two great commandments— that Jesus tells us about love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, basically everything you are. And then the second, which is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. So in that sense, if I think of thinking about these things, right, engaging philosophically in the ideas about who God is and these apologetic uh, questions about why does evil exist or am I really free or what arguments are there for God's existence, right? All of those kinds of things. If, if I'm using those first and foremost as an opportunity to exercise my mind in a way that 
pulls me towards worshiping God, uh, worshiping God, right? Um, so that I'm not just contemplating, like you said, some abstract pie in the sky kind of stuff. I'm I'm loving God with my mind by thinking about these things. Yeah. Then the outward expression of that, loving others as I love myself, would be to share that with so them, true. To, be, to bring them into that conversation and help them think about those things as well. Yeah. Um, which consequently, or coincidentally, I should say, is kind of how I see my ministry as a professor of yeah. philosophy in a secular setting. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a fantastic point. And I think a lot of things sometimes that we kind of just walk over, you know, we may miss that entirely when we think about uh, the idea of Christian thinking or the philosophy of religion, really. That's, that's many great points. And so I think it's easy for us to look around um, today, um, especially in 2020. I mean, we could have said this, you know, for many years ago, any of those years, but especially this year in the division and the confusion and the hurt that, I mean, it's just, I mean, it is quite everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere that we, that we walk, it's there. Um, and, and a lot of these things that are going on in, in our world, and especially in our country could be just described as evil. And you mentioned that earlier in one of your statements, but what do you, what do you think God is doing about evil in our world? And I know that's a loaded question. But. <laughs> it, it is. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So here's my, um, my philosopher's question, right. Or, uh, answer to that is, um, well, Josh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I I don't know. And so there's a couple of components to answering a question like that, I think, from a Christian perspective, specifically from a Christian philosophy perspective. Um, I can give a philosophical answer to this. Right. Um, And and we can talk about that uh, if you'd like here in a minute. Or I can give a kind of faith perspective answer to that. And those two may look the same, um, but they may not. They're not going to be in conflict. It's not like one answer is going to contradict what the other answer says. But but it depends a lot on the person asking the question, right? Is this someone who has just suffered something painful or encountered evil in some uh, particularly um, present way in their life, right? if that's the case, then I'm probably not going to want to delve into some philosophical response to the problem of evil because that doesn't fit that situation. Yeah. That's not very ministerial, right? Uh, they're going to want a faith response. And even then, that faith response, and again, we can talk about that, it, they're not really looking for an answer, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Now, so, some people are, and, and I can get a feel, and I think most ministers, you, you probably agree, yeah. you can get a feel for when somebody's really wanting you to give them an answer. True. But I think... Um, a lot of times when people are wondering and talking about that, they want to voice their concerns. They want you to listen. They want to know that they're not crazy for asking these questions or they're not rejecting God by asking those questions, that it's okay to ask these questions. Sure. Um, so first I would start there and say, hey, the, the questions, it's it's a good question and it's worth thinking about. Um, I like how just recently um, – it was uh, Scott uh, Willingham, right, um, mm-hmm. yeah. who, who spoke um, this Sunday and talked about Job. And, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that what we find here in Job is not an answer to the problem of evil. We find the right response. Yeah. Because if you, if you read through the whole book, the answer to why Job, at least for Job, right, the answer, God, why did I suffer this, is never answered for him. Yeah. God doesn't say, well, Satan and I were talking. And this is what happened. He doesn't say that to yeah. Job. But what he is given is a way to respond. Sure. You know, Job, I'm not going to tell you necessarily why you're 
suffering this, but what I will say is that your response has been pr- appropriate and proper. Yeah. So your response to evil, which is to be frustrated by it, ask the questions, but never turn your back on God, never forsake God, never, as his wife suggests, curse God and die. Right. That's the right response. Um, so I think it, in, in all of this, right, we can we can respond to evil in ways that are thoughtful, but they may not ultimately give us this why is God doing this? What is God up to? Right. Now, I can go on from there and tell you what I think philosophically about what God may be up to. By the way, the the terms that we may deal with here, when you're looking for an answer to what God's up to, when it's when it comes to evil, the the term there is called theodicy. Yeah, uh, that is a, a response to what um, why God is allowing certain evils, and I tend to favor kind of a multi a, a, a multi view of theodicy so that it's not just one in particular, but probably some combination. Sure. So you want me to go through a couple yeah, of those? Yeah, yeah that so would be great. On um, the one hand, you have probably the most popular one would be called a free will theodicy. Okay. Um, the idea being here that God has given us free will as a, as a gift of sorts, right? This idea that a world where we freely choose to do the things we are, even if we sometimes choose the wrong thing, because we will sometimes choose the right right thing, that a world where we freely choose to do what we do is better than a world where we have no freedom at all. Right. So um, God creates what philosophers would say the best possible world that he can create or a a morally maximally great possible world, um, which is the world we live in. He creates that world and that world's going to have free will in it. Uh, If God created a world without free will, it wouldn't be as good as it could have been. Right. So God being God creates this really great world. But because we have free will, we're going to go wrong. So the, the free will theodicy would say that, um, Evil is a product, ultimately, of the free choices that we make uh, um, from this great good gift that God has given us that that we in some ways kind of misuse. So what God is up to is creating a world that has as much moral maximal goodness as possible. But to do that, he has to create a world where there's evil. Right. I know that so, and I particularly just love um, I love reading C.S. Lewis, and I know I've already mentioned him once, and I love his kind of, um, especially on things like grief and suffering. I think he has a pretty unique perspective uh, compared to a lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's another one who has right. kind of a, a unique, um, just these minds who have a unique perspective on suffering and the the, the way um, the way we view things as a Christ follower. And so, do you think an appropriate maybe response to that? Why is why is God allowing this? Rather, we should shift our mind to more of what is God wanting me to see through this? What is God wanting me to discover here? What is God wanting to do through me right. through this? Yeah, and I think that. That touches on the second theodicy that I, I like, which is called a soul-making theodicy. Now, that's kind of really weird-sounding phraseology, <laughs> right? Um, what does it mean to make a soul? Right. The, the idea is that the evil in some way, and my suffering through it, and responding in good ways to it, like you say, sure. right? Um, evil allows me the opportunity to respond virtuously um, or to counter it with good actions, right? right. To, to lift people up out of bad circumstances or to say no to it in some ways. And that all of these things help create a better person, right? They make me a better person as I go through them. In my class, I talk to students about, think, think about people who um, tragically go through cancer. 
and have to deal Absolutely. with with a with a cancer diagnosis. Um, and then they go through it and they they go through the treatment and and they get through on the other side and they're in remission. A lot of times, now not everybody by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of people look back at that and they they look at the experience as having made them a better person. Sure. Right. That on the other side of it, they say, "I'm better." having gone through this experience than if I hadn't. That would be fit into this kind of soul-making theodicy. And I think that um, Lewis is kind of pointing to that. There's a sense in which my response is going to either make me better or not, and it's going to affect other people around me as well. So you have free will, how I'm affecting others, and uh, soul-making, how it makes me better. Yeah, right. And that's almost the same take uh, as as maybe... um, you know, someone someone who is who has gone through that, who's gone through that process, and at the end of it, their response is very different from what it would have been at the beginning. Their question and even the response to God would have been very different at the beginning of that journey through the end of the journey, especially seeing the outcome and right. and what it produced, even in in maybe even just a short amount of years. And so, I love I mean, Robbie Zacharias takes a really unique uh, approach to that too. And um, I know there are there are several others. Francis Chan touches on it in several sermons too. One of his biggest, most famous illustrations. It's kind of based on this uh, this time impact of things, and so he compares it really to um, like the the role of an extra in a movie, and how um, you watch the movie and you can pick out the extra. And so, like if I was an extra in, in a movie, I have a Star Wars poster behind behind you in my office. I'm going to use that one. So if I was an extra in Star Wars, I'd be there for four or five seconds, maybe. I mean, I would flash by the screen, right. yeah. and I would really have no impact. On the movie, yeah. you know, I think if, if I were an extra, I would be the stormtrooper that hits his head. Right. That would be me. That's great. It's, I mean, and maybe there's I mean, you can point out one of those moments, that kind of thing. That was me. That's what I did. Right. But there's no like that didn't help the plot. You know, that, right. that didn't that didn't impact the outcome of the movie or even the trilogy or even the canon that goes along with it. And that's just a silly example to you, Star Wars. But I think when we when we take that kind of idea that Ravi Zacharias uses and I, I, it's one of my favorite defenses of God and um, the existence of God and what God is doing about evil is that we can't possibly understand what is happening in the the long term the long the scale of eternity the 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 time scale of what god sees how he envisions how he creates how he allows um and so someone who is going through um that cancer journey like you mentioned earlier that may i mean may take 25 30 years i mean and that's a that's a big number but when you think of 30 years in the existence of um, the history of our country mm-hmm. or yeah. or um, the history of um, the world so far, you know, and, and I think of, um, you know, the impact that Jesus ha- has has had on the world in his short time on the earth. And I think when we when we look about when we look at evil and we, we talk about uh, the division and things that are happening, uh, you know, and we question God and we say, God, why are you allowing this? How can I find peace in this? I'm always assured by that the time method of looking at things that perspective the time perspective of I'm I'm not going to live long enough to see how this plays out right <laughs> I'm not going to get to see how this ties in what God is allowing this for now so that he can do something beautiful in the future with that and right. I, I that gives me peace is there anything it kind of in those lines maybe as we look at evil that gives you peace something that other followers of Jesus might be able to find peace in yeah, I mean, I think that w- when when it comes to this, I think that the idea that um, I don't have to, it, it's not required of me to come up with an answer for every, and th- th- I guess it depends on where we're trying to find this piece, right? So it, it's not required of me to find an answer to every little bad thing that happens in the world, sure. right? It's not even required of me to solve the great 
you know, problems in philosophy, like evil or something like that. Um, but I do know that God is good and that he creates the world as such um, and that evil exists and that th- these things are compatible, right? God has created the world. He's, he's uh, put things in place. And um, I know that God is good, right? Um, and I know that I don't have to he doesn't need me to defend him in, yeah. in that way, right? So I'm using the word defense here a little differently than we did earlier, but he, he doesn't require that of me. Um, so any failing to understand why there's evil or whatever, that failing is on me. And it may seem odd to say that I might find peace in that, but the idea is that I can trust that God is good. I yeah, can trust absolutely. that God is who he says he is, that whatever evil is accountable uh, accounted for why ever it's here whatever is going on there it's not god's fault mm-hmm. i'm not worshiping or in league with a god that is inflicting evil or creating evil or being evil because like you say there's this long view here that i don't have access yeah. to right i don't have the god's eye view of history um past present and future so but i do know that god is good so i know that whatever he's doing for whatever reason he's allowing it he's allowing it for good reasons yeah and that there will be a good that comes out of it and i just praise god that that's the case yeah. um and i also praise god that i don't have to work that out now that doesn't get me off the hook from thinking about these things you know i, I still think that we're called upon to think about the hard things, even if we don't come to sure. to definite conclusions and to ask the questions. And as I said before, worship God with our minds. Yeah. Um, but but at the end of it, if I if I come to the end of it and I think, man, I, I don't know that I've got an answer to this. That's okay. Yeah. I do know that God is good, and I don't I don't need an answer necessarily. I love the the phrase that that you mentioned that God doesn't need us. To defend him, I I love that, and I would I would find peace in that too, and I have. And our an instance came to mind where uh, I was uh, leading another ministry at another church, um, my previous church, and I had a volunteer um, who was talking to a student who asked a question, a pretty pointed question, um, but he asked this volunteer um, just a really. Um, and the, the kid is not from a faith background, did not have um, a, a, a full um, or even close to good understanding of God or, or who God is, what God is doing, that kind of thing. So ask him a really direct question. And the first thing that volunteer um, snapped to was a defense of God and, and almost a um, so much so a defense of you can't talk about God that way, and that's just inappropriate. That's wrong. That's you don't know what you're talking about. This is real harsh, you know, dogmatic right. almost approach to that. Um, and it made me think of that exact phrase in the moment when I was kind of coaching that volunteer through that. Of hey, God doesn't need. It's great that you wanted to defend God, but right. it, it was the motive to show love there at the same time. Because like you mentioned earlier, those two great commitments is you can love God. And not have such a harsh, dogmatic approach right. to people. And, and that, yeah, I love that. I think that's why um, my perspective about apologetics may be a little bit different from like the I contemporary love that, apologetics. I, I, yeah, so, I mean, I, I just the the whole debate kind of culture in apologetics. I think it devolves into this. Um, my argument can beat up your right. argument, and it gets so personal. I exactly. think. Yeah, and, and, and we end up leaving faith at the door. Yeah, when we no, do that's that. we're just that we're is just such a great word. These arguments. Yeah, um, I, lo- I love I love tying those in though. Any chance we get to tie in, love God, 
love people. Anytime we can help others see that, you know, I don't, maybe I don't understand where you're coming from with this question. Maybe I'm I'm not going to have the philosophical answer that you want, but I know that you're supremely valued by God. Well, Um, I've been in these ministries where I've I've encountered atheists and talked with atheists and they've been very, um, almost not all of them by any means. Right. But, but I've had a couple of conversations where it's very clear that they're being intentionally offensive, right. They're trying to offend. And I keep thinking to myself as I'm engaging this person, I could get offended, but, um, what, why? Right. I I mean, it's not me that they're offending. It's God. It's not me. They're bashing. Right. And, um, if I feel like I need to defend myself, that's one thing, but I don't need to defend God. And, more to the point beyond all that, when I brush all of that away, what I have is not just some angry atheist who's angry at God that needs to be put in his place. Right. What I have is someone who God loves yeah. that I need to express love wow. to in some way as best as I can in the moment. And maybe that person never comes yeah. to never comes to faith. Maybe that's the case. But in that moment, they've been shown the love of God yeah. by my actions and by my words. And maybe they do come to faith. Mm-hmm. But if, whether they come to faith or not, it's not going to be because of some argument I trot out. It's yeah, because absolutely. it's going to be because of a, a, a movement of the Holy yeah. Spirit in their lives. And 100% of the time, I think the biggest way we can d- show justice to God, the biggest way we can honor God is by loving people. <laughs> it's absolutely. by showing love in that situation, mm-hmm. uh, being patient and slow to speak in that instance. That's Stephen and I talked about that uh, several weeks ago and how that that is, I think humility is the absolute hardest aspect of the qualities of Jesus to, for us to even comprehend, let alone practice. Right. Um, just the humility of Christ and the humility even of apologetics, it right. seems, as we're speaking of here. But And I think it's important to note, too, that, I mean, I, that's in that one circumstance. I may, I may meet another atheist who they really want that conversation. So I need to make sure that I'm engaging that. So yeah. loving them isn't necessarily saying, hey, I'm not going to bump up against you or I'm not going to give you the arguments right. or whatever. It may be that loving that person in that moment is to say, no, man, you're wrong. And here's why. And let's have a conversation and be respectful with sure. each other about this. And and that's showing love, right? Yeah. It's it's never love to gloss over the truth or not give people the truth, but neither is it to just beat somebody over the head with an argument that they're not prepared to respond to. Right. So I know we've been a little bit heavier um, today normally than what we would be um, on our podcast. And just as we kind of wrap up and, and wind down, I'd love to ask you if there's any sort of uh, maybe philosophical teaching or an apologist principle that maybe keeps you going. And I know we talked about that piece earlier, but is there something that just inspires hope to you, something that you can cling to that inspires hope? Yeah. Um, uh, so philosophically, um, I got to say, I don't know that there's any philosophy per se that does that for me now and uh, allow me to explain that a little bit i i think that the the reason that i got into philosophy um well give a little background when i when i started in college my path was to be a youth minister college minister that's where i thought i was going when i got to southwestern i was fully prepared to go that route right um as I continued in college, I'm sorry, in grad school at seminary, I quickly realized that church ministry wasn't really where God was calling me, the paid church ministry. I, right. I feel like I minister here as best I can, but but being on staff at a church was not what God was calling calling me to, but rather towards the academic side. So sure. that's where I shifted and started moving towards more academic degrees and, and doing what I do. Um, so uh, having done that, um, what I really... What, what really became kind of clear to me was that this academic pursuit, this intellectual pursuit can be 
a worshipful pursuit. It can be a pursuit that glorifies and honors God yeah. if God is the goal of that pursuit, right? So if in my academic endeavors, I'm seeking to understand and know God more fully and to glorify him as best as I can, if that's the goal of my intellectual pursuits, then that's where I'm going to find that. Sure. So there, there is no particular philosophy absent that that's going to give me peace. Right. What gives me peace is knowing that whatever questions I ask and whatever way I engage in philosophy, that's going to draw me closer to God. Yeah. That, that's where I find my peace. And if I find something that doesn't do that in some way or other, then that's what I think Paul warns us about with vain philosophy. Wow. And even then, when I find that and I think about it for a little bit, marking it and identifying it such, I think is honoring and glorifying to God. Sure. So, And I try to frame it all in that way. The guy I wrote my dissertation on, his name is Bishop Barclay, um, George Barclay uh, from the, the 17th, 18th century. And um, he's famous for believing that there is no material world, that everything is in the mind of God, basically, mm. right? It's called Christian idealism is the is the concept. Um, but what really spoke to me about Barclay is that it was one of the first philosophers that really felt that the thing he was doing was a full-on worship of God. The way he wrote was very worshipful and right. very directed to God. And he felt that the philosophy he was looking at would draw people closer to God. And that's what I'm I'm kind of looking to do and 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 thinking about doing. So so it's that loving God with my mind. Um, there's another principle from quite a while back. Uh, um, I'm struggling to remember the philosopher right now, but the principle is that it's faith seeking understanding. I put my faith in a position to seek to understand the world right. around me rather than my understanding seeking some sort of faith out there. My faith in God is primary, and it's the other stuff that that pushes me towards that faith and that follows that flows from that faith as well. Yeah. Well, that's I I can't thank you enough for sharing your perspective on so many things today. I mean, that's and we'd love to have you back um, when we can talk a little more at length, maybe about some some pinpoint issues yeah, and things like that. Absolutely, that was I love fantastic. it. Fantastic, but thank you so much for your time today. And um, just as uh, as we go, you know, we always um, share a resource or something um, of that matter, whether it's, whether it's a website or a video or a book that we've come across just the, uh, around uh, the subject or the topic that we've talked about today. Is there anything that you would recommend? Maybe a few resources, and I know. Um, that we have a wide range of people that right. may tune in and some people may go, this is right on my alley. And some people are, I have no idea what they've just talked about. And Absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah. I got a couple that I can get, point you to. So William Lane Craig is a, is a very noted yeah. apologist um, and a very competent um, intellectual as well, uh, philosopher as well. Um, if you go, you can go to the website, reasonablefaith.com. And there's a lot of resources that he puts out there. I don't agree with every single thing that Craig says, but he does have a lot of really good resources for people who are interested in loving God with their mind and thinking in this way. Um, and you can find his books. He has a book of the same name, Reasonable Faith, and he has one that's a little more geared towards uh, uh, the beginner and sure. and and these issues called On Guard. Um, there's another philosopher, J.P. Moreland, um, and he has a couple of books. One, Love Your God with all your with all your mind, and another, Scaling the Secular City. And uh, those are a couple I think that would be pretty uh, pretty helpful to people who might go, want to go a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, and then actually, just um, in our backyard, there is a professor at Southwestern at the college, Scarborough College, Southwestern, uh, Travis Dickinson, who um, has written almost a pamphlet length 
little book called Everyday Apologetics. Yeah. It's uh, published by the seminary, so I don't know that you can find it in a lot of places. I think it actually might be on Google Books, so you can probably find it there. Great. But, uh, it's a good little primer, and I think he's got a pretty decent perspective in that book anyway on uh, on doing apologetics well. Yeah. Well, uh, so I, I know we mentioned earlier that we had a, a mutual uh, professor, a mutual educator, that, that uh, and I, I look up to Dr. Holloway a lot. I know he was a great mentor um, in my life and was uh, my advisor um, for a time while I was at ETBU, and um, I, I uh, had the privilege of, of reading through um, one of his books on uh, Christian ethics called Poetics of Grace. And I would kind of tie that more towards um, uh, someone who's looking for maybe I, I wouldn't call it, you know, a it's it, it is a hard read, but not a not something that you I mean, it's meant to chew on. I think that's really what right. and it's meant for, you know, um, it's meant as a college textbook. That's really what it's what it's meant as. And that's what we use it for. But um, it, it is something to chew on after every chapter, maybe even a few pages to really sit and think about. But it's not anything that that anyone can't handle. So I would definitely recommend that Poetics of Grace, Christian Ethics as the Odyssey, as we mentioned earlier. Um, that's by Dr. Jeff Holloway. And I know if you want to check out any of his lectures, I know he has several on YouTube um, and also um, has um, has a few articles on Baptist Standard um, as well. But I know you mentioned uh, uh, Moreland and Craig earlier, and mm-hmm. I have uh, a book that was written by both of them. I have to turn around on my shelf to make sure I'm, I'm saying it right. Yeah, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. Yep. And that's more on the, I think, more on the a little advanced side. I would Pro- Probably. Yeah. It, it, I, I would put it this way. It's, it's for the lay thinker, the person who... Who isn't trained in this, but they don't mind thinking yeah, hard about yeah, that absolutely. stuff, right? And that was, I think that book was a little, was pretty foundational for me in understanding. <laughs> and I know Stephen mentioned uh, four weeks ago, I think, in one of his messages on James one about a Christian worldview and how right. that should shape really how we think about a lot of things and how yeah. we approach the world. And so that was a really helpful book uh, for me towards my the tail end of college, um, kind of exploring, um, you know, why I view the world the way I do and how God wants me to change that. Right. <laughs> Uh, but but a really a really good book and several great resources and again some of those are free online and you can um, p- pay a little more and get a book I guess if right. you're wanting to explore some of those resources but Greg thanks again for joining us we hope to have you on um, again soon um, but thank you for all of our listeners who tuned in this week and we want to point you back again to our, our website so you can see Pastor Willingham's uh, message this past Sunday um, he preached in both the traditional and contemporary hour you can check those out at northfortworth.com slash media the same place that you find this podcast podcast and you can uh, like and subscribe our pot to our podcast uh, from our website as well on any podcasting platform that you prefer um, but thanks again for listening and we hope you have a great week and we'll catch you back here on Sunday um, for worship at 9 and 11 a.m.